What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 54 of Dart Against Humanity. If you're a regular listener, you know that what I like to do is oftentimes I just rant into a phone. Sometimes I actually have some semblance of an idea of what I'm going to do. This week, I decided to do something different and actually fully research and plan out exactly what I'm doing. Today's episode is going to be about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Music, supervision, and television and film. Uh, As somebody who I've mentioned before grew up with a deep attachment to music and just wanting to know everything about it. uh, One of the early things that I've always attached music to is images. Images being film or in television. As a kid, who a Gen Xer who was born in 1975, I watched TV, and that TV uh, actually had really funky soundtracks, uh, background music. Um, the films, too, the soundtracks of the era were amazing. So I always associated music with film and television for that very reason. Now, I don't remember what age I was when it hit me that there's actually somebody in charge of supervising or consulting on the music used in each film or television show. I didn't realize that was an actual job. I knew films had soundtracks and there was a person assigned to the soundtrack, whether it be... uh, Uh, James Brown's in charge of the soundtrack. Uh, Willie Hutch did this soundtrack. Marvin Gaye did this soundtrack. Um, There was a movie called Together Brothers back in the day where it was um, Mr. Show You Right. Uh, He actually uh, did that soundtrack. You know, he had the Love Unlimited band. And I was just in awe of that. I was like, yo, they actually gave somebody this job. You know what I'm saying? To do this fucking job of picking the music to make or score. And then that's the other thing. Later on, I discovered about scores. And I would go to the record store or, and I would discover, oh, or Ennio Morricone did this score. Or... Um, the pawnbroker was scored by um, Quincy Jones. And that just intrigued me. Uh, the first time I saw Black Orpheus or Orfeo Negro, which I believe this is the s- is 60th year anniversary of it being at um, the Cannes Film Festival or um, just being released internationally. I first saw... This film. Now, I saw it before uh, they mentioned it on the Cosby show, of course. I think it was 8485. And he was talking about how he wanted to see Black Orpheus and he fell in love with Marpessa Dawn or the lead actress in it. And he always wanted to go to Rio. But my wife wouldn't let me go. Well, the reason why that, to, when people ask me, like, what's the greatest film soundtrack of all time, I always lead with that. That film soundtrack for me changed everything, the idea of what it can do for film. You cannot divorce Black Orpheus or Orfeo Negro from the music. And the music in that film changed world music forever. People got into that genre of music, were introduced to that genre of music, which led them to Brazilian jazz and everything else because of a film.
It was in a language they didn't understand. But music is a universal language. So now that I've set the foundation, I need to explain some things. I have written about uh, music supervision for quite a while. I've talked about it openly. In 2014, I did a piece for Medium, which has been heavily slept on. Uh, I think it's because of the title. The title is too weird. Uh, when music elevates the modern sem- cinematic experience, and the sub and under it was eight recent examples of excellence in music and film and music. I just think that that, that people don't get it. I'm going to redo it for 2019 and update it. So uh, basically, I start with this timeline from 1999 until the present day, and I'll explain why. It opens with, once MTV began to focus more on original programming rather than music videos, they progressively dismantled most of their video shows and created alternate network to appeal to the diehard music fans who still clung to their original aim and mission statement in the summer of 1996. M2, a.k.a. MTV2. Music discovery began its steady evolution into what it's become today. Internet-based P2P sites were bringing the music industry to its knees circa fall 1999, led by Napster, Kazaa, Ed2K, etc. But we music fans still kept our televisions on MTV, BET, and Much Music. Uh, in, 19, in 2003, Much Music became MMUSA, then later Fuse, where we discovered new music that we'd either go out and buy or order from Columbia House or BMG Music Club for pennies on the dollar. By fall 1999, M2 had become MTV2, and in hopes of compensating for the fact that it was almost impossible to see MTV2 at the time, Viacom opted to airstream the network on the internet. This helped switch the dynamic of music discovery to a different screen, but it would be years before the majority of internet users got access to cable modems or broadband connections outside of the T1 lines they had in their offices or workplaces. MTV's airing of original programming had to serve as a delivery system for new music in the stead of videos. And shows would play snippets of parts of new songs and you see the song listed on the screen as it's played. Or you had to wait, then record the end credits on your VCR, replay them, and then pause them to figure out what they were. Eventually this became commonplace as this is how we compensated for not having MTV cater to music fans anymore in the early days of the transition. Another factor was indie films began to explode around the rise of the DVD, circa 1998, 1999, 2000. And most of these indie films, they'd introduce you to new music or music you previously never heard of before, which you would immediately search for and download via Napster, LimeWire, Kazaa, Ed2K. This was the things. This was the way things went for years to follow, and only got deeper as more and more internet users got broadband, internet access, DSL cable modems, and routers, thus making it possible to be online 24/7 with high-speed access in the span between 2000 and 2004. And then the final um, passage: By 2004, film was entrenched in not only seamlessly integrating music into it as a means of helping get the desired emotional investment from the viewer audience, but also as a way to introduce people to music the filmmakers loved. Due to the recent changes in how we were once exposed to music, there was a void, and the filmmakers of this era capitalized on it by bridging the gap and bringing the music to people through the medium of film. And then I explained that there are eight films. From the past decade that I feel really did this in a, a phenomenal way that hit me emotionally. Myself and my brother uh, were early adopters to Netflix uh, around 2000. What happened was we went 
I used to work in video stores. I was a manager of a video store. And then I worked at a store called um, CD Spins. And what we specialized in was uh, buying used uh, DVDs. And we and the owners actually had this uh, technology where they could actually fix scratched uh, or um, damaged discs. So they would actually play again. And it was quite a it was quite a good deal. People were bringing their scratch CDs. We would work them. We would fix them or whatever. Fill them in, and then you get the back. I was like, oh my god, it's plays now. Uh, as things turned digital, that wasn't really viable. So it was a waste, and ultimately, CD spins died. But for the time, it was dope. And then like we started doing it with DVDs, it didn't work as well. Anyways. The eight films that I wrote about at the time, remember this was written in 2014, the films that my brother and I would just be in awe over at how they seamlessly blended and film with the music. For me, um, 2004, Garden State, uh, wrote a passage about that. Another favorite of my brother and I, um, Once, which came out in 2007, I wrote a passage about that. Juno 2007 wrote a passage about that Rachel getting married in 2008 I absolutely love this film for so many reasons uh Nick and Nora's infinite playlist from 2008 this is another one um medicine for melancholy one of the most slept on films I love this film so much I loved how it introduced the music uh I loved how cinematic it was in black and white uh Everything about this. I'm sick of saying, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world 2010. Anybody who knows anything about me? Well, I'll have to tell you this. I have been captivated by and intrigued by uh, Canadian music going back to as far as I can remember, largely because uh, Canadian television I had access to. One of the first Canadian shows I was ever introduced to at a young age was um, The Kids on Degrassi Street, which used to come on PBS back in the late 70s, which later became um, Degrassi and um, Degrassi Junior High, then Degrassi High, and then, you know, Degrassi The Next Generation, and I mean, you know, Degrassi, you know, lost fucking whatever. But uh, I was always intrigued by... Uh, Canadian television and the music that they introduced because Canada has its own bands and music and they had hip hop and they had their own hip hop stars and I was just everything about it was like I need to know everything so I'm well versed in Canadian um, indie bands for some odd reason and Canadian indie rock and we'll get back to this later but again if there's Canadian television and there's Canadian music, then that means that there's a whole bunch of people that are music supervisors in Canada for shows that are shown in America. We'll come back to this. So Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, set in Toronto. Drive, 2011. Duh. Obviously. Right? So then I wrote the conclusion. Now, I did that and I always wanted to do this as a series or talk about this regularly. Yes, that's um, sirens behind me. So I always wanted to do this regularly as a series. 
and talk about, you know, music and uh, music supervision and film music discovery, because nothing bothers me more than watching a film and there being horrible music in it. I think I talked about this in one of the earliest um, episodes, but I absolutely hated the music supervision and, and most dance films. Take the lead. I think Swiss Beats did that. Hated it. Thought it was horrible. I the Step Up series. I absolutely hate the the majority of the music used in those. And I talked about this with one of my boys, um, DJ Lean Rock. Did they use the wrong music to dance to? Um, one day I would like to actually pick music for people to dance to, and it would actually be dope, and it would make sense. That's another story. Neither here nor there. And I absolutely and I couldn't even remember the name of the series when I first did this. Um, after Step Up, it was the oh my, holy shit, I don't remember it. But anyway, it was the one where everybody sings the Barton Bellas and shit. Um, I hated the song selections from that and it incensed me so much because I'm so passionate about uh, music supervision. So I would less like wonder how can I get that kind of job and everybody I knew who worked as a consultant on a TV show or did music or wrote music original music I was intrigued by but then you think about it and there's like different levels to it right because the progression went as I mentioned before there were MTV shows that played music during them that made me go, wow, that's dope. They picked that music. So we had MTV shows, the animated shows like Daria and Downtown, where it's like, yo, somebody picked that song. This is the perfect song and it works. And then you had like later MTV shows like Undressed, where they would play a song at the perfect time, but you would look at the bottom of the screen and it would say the artist, what the song was. And it was like, for more songs like this, you go to MTV.com. It would scroll at the bottom. So if you're not looking at the bottom of the screen and you're just looking at the action happening up here, but if you're somebody like me who's always about the music, what's playing, what's happening, I was really attuned to that. So I always want to know what the song was, what music that was. Uh, and another thing is like I was talking about uh, being introduced to new music. A lot of that happened through a lot of indie films, underground films, art house films, where they would sneak in all this great music. Well, they were doing it on HBO and Showtime series, individual series between 2000 and 2003. Uh, but like there would be shows like um, The Mind of a Married Man, where you would see like, you know, some supervisor got busy, music supervisor got busy here. But later on, people would focus more on shows like Entourage, where they would play like four or five songs during the episode. And people were like, oh, that song got played. That song got played. But it was weird because the culture switched. Because I remember there was a time when your song got played on the radio and you would lose your mind and you would go crazy. But it was a new era where it was the Twitter era where everybody uh, live tweeted something. So if your song got played on a TV show, it was like that equivalent. And yes, there's a sirens and shit happening outside. I'm doing this at 2 a.m. The first show I can remember that really stood out to me that... It was interesting that the music supervision was so on point when I didn't expect it. Okay, so between 2003 and 2005, I'm working overnight 
at the CVS. I'm a manager. It's the CVS and um, it's the CVS on Charles Street, across the street from um, Mass General Hospital in the Beacon Hill neighborhood. Just so you know, every July Fourth is the one that's packed because it's near the um, the waterfront. I would have my niece and nephew because they would stay over. This is back when they were young, and I would always I would actually sleep. So I would because it's professional. I would sleep before I did my shift, and I would come home. The kids used to always watch this network, The Inn, or Noggin. It would go from Noggin to The Inn. And when I would wake up before I came to work or when I came home, it would be on. And there was a show that used to come on. The network was Canadian, but it was supposed to be set in New Jersey. But everybody was so Canadian. The show was so Canadian. The, the way they spoke, the actors on it were Canadian. So I never thought that they were in New Jersey. I always thought they were in Canada. It was called... um. Radio Free Roscoe. And basically all it did was introduce me to a new wave of underground and indie Canadian um, music. Specifically like rock. I fell in love with the music that I heard from the show. I think the greatest thing that I heard from the show was... um, So I was always into like... uh. So I don't know if you're familiar if you're familiar with like um anthems for a 16-year-old girl, you know, like stuff like that. But I was always into those kind of bands. And there's a band called uh Reverie Sound Review, who is an offshoot of that particular band. I don't know if you heard of Feist. Of course you've heard of Feist. They're all from the same band, uh Lisa Lob Singer. So everybody's from the same band and it was an offshoot of that band and they had an EP out at the time which was impossible to find stateside but thanks to the uh internet you could find uh, floating around and I was introduced to that and several other bands several other songs uh via Radio Free Roscoe a show aimed at teenagers and kids and I'm like yo they really they 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 went nuts on this show right uh, later on, I think I feel like the greatest all time music supervision in television. I just feel personally that uh, the show, the UK show Skins, which aired between 2007 and 2013 on, I believe, was uh, E4 in the UK. Um, the music supervisors were um, Alex Hancock and Kyle Lind. Kowlin did another show called Truckers, which I've never seen before. And Alex Hancock did um, not only did he do skins, but he did a show, a very popular UK show, which followed kind of a similar uh, format um, called uh, Misfits. Misfits was interesting because Misfits didn't bleed over to the next episode. It was all standalone stuff. And like they didn't really name the episodes. It was just weird. And Youngers. Youngers is a show about like the grime, the grime world. Youngers, you have you have um olders and youngers, like the kids. So like the show Youngers, the music that they selected for that show was bananas. And I was like, yo, whoever chose this music must have worked on something else that I'm familiar with. Yeah, they worked on skins. Alex Hancock. So to me, that is the all time greatest. 
music supervision. Radio Free Roscoe had um Eric, uh, had Chris Robinson and um and Jono Grant who did other Canadian shows, but nothing people would know. Now um, if we're coming to the modern era, like recently, uh, we gotta look at Broad City, which has been around between 2014 and ended 2019. Um, the thing about Broad City to me is that it would have songs that I didn't expect. Like, it takes a lot for me to be somebody to watch a show, especially the music guy I am, the the uh, maybe snob, maybe nerd, somebody who's just so into music that it's hard to impress me on a TV show. So if I'm watching a show and it makes me want to pull out Soundhound or I hate I don't like Shazam. Soundhound works way better for me. So to go Soundhound to Shazam to the screen, then you did your damn job. And the person who did the music supervision for um, Broad City is um Matt FX Feldman or just Matt FX. And he also did the music for Detroiters and he worked on Skins. He did specific episodes for Skins. So it makes sense. Uh, one time he played one of my boys, a uh, producer, uh, Boom Baptist, did a song, produced a song for a group called um, Keeper, called Happy to Be Sad. And th- this song was placed in the perfect place of an episode right at the beginning. And there's this thing that happens on YouTube where um, it creates a topic. And it cre- and it will automatically add a video for a song to YouTube because it got played on a TV show. And then people go on YouTube and they're like, yo, I was sent here by um Broad City. And I was just in awe because that's happened time and time again. So I'll say that uh, Broad City is definitely a show that has impressed me with its music supervision. Another show, I'll go with um, Master of None. Master of None's been running since 2015. Everybody's waiting for the third season to come. I, Aziz Ansari, I feel like he'll get to it when he gets to it. He has to be inspired. A lot of things have to happen before he really goes for, through with it. Because where it left off, I need a resolution. We need a resolution. But he's going to get to it when he gets to it. Uh, the music supervisors are um, Zach Cowie and Kerry Druton. Uh, Zach Cowie worked on the film Public Enemies, and he did another film that I love. Uh, it's kind of a cult, a cult one for me. Uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Uh, Kerry Druton, she's worked on Brooklyn Nine Nine. She's a music supervisor of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Does a fantastic job on that. Parks and Rec too, and um, there's a show that I feel that. When it gets canceled, if it hasn't already been canceled, I think it might have been. It's going to go into the cult folder for me. AP Bio. I don't know. I don't think too many people even watch it. It's up there for me. And Psych, who I think a lot of people just love. Master of None, when it comes back, it comes back. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, two obvious choices. These are just slam dunks. Nobody's going to be impressed by me pulling these out. They're obvious. So we're looking at um Atlanta. Uh, so the music supervisors on Atlanta, I, I think everybody knows them because they've been nominated for a whole bunch of stuff. People have written about them ad nauseum. That's Jen Malone and Fam um, Yudajori. Uh, so 
fam actually was the music supervisor for Creed 2. A lot of people love the music on Creed 2. I'm not a fan of White Milk. Mike Will made it. So I get why people loved it. Wasn't big on it. Just like I loved the score from Black Panther. Did not really enjoy the soundtrack all that much outside of three songs. It's the same thing for me with Creed 2. It's like, I like the songs the homegirl sang. I like the oh, this song here, this song here, this song here. But then when you get into like the shit that like Mike made with people I don't really care for, I'm like, I could have done without that. Now, that's obvious. That's an obvious one, right? Um, Atlanta. Another obvious one, right? Wait a second. Did I just say insecure? Hold on. Um, I think I fucked up. Insecure's music supervisors. Their their team is um Rafael Sadiq and Kier Lehman. Kier Lehman worked on on Black uh, Lightning and The Night Of. And Into the Spider-Verse, which a lot of people love, too. So a lot of people love the music Into the Spider-Verse. I think it works for the film. Not a huge fan of it. Um, Atlanta, some music supervisors, of course, Jen Malone and Fam. And Fam worked on Creed 2. And Jen Malone worked on Euphoria, which I, the music I love for Euphoria. Um, Awkward, another show on MTV, which I think a lot of people may, may not have seen, slept on, is dope. The Resident. I've watched The Resident. I do not remember the music from the fucking Resident at all. And I believe she also did work on Creed 2. If it makes sense, uh, her and Fam are like a package, a package team, a package deal. Insecure's music supervisors are um, Raphael Sadiq, who does the music and also works as part of the music um, department. But Kier Lehman, who does Black Lightning in The Night Of and Into the Spider-Verse. So I jumped down to... Killing Eve. I think Killing Eve is another obvious choice. Uh, if you don't watch Killing Eve, then I feel sorrow deep in my heart for you. I personally fell in love with it because of the way it married the music with the actual action and and the storyline and the pacing and everything and just the tone of it. So when we look at Killing Eve, the music supervisor is um, Catherine Greaves, who also does a show called Riviera, which I don't watch. The thing that made me fall in love with the music and where they put it in different episodes, just that first season, that first season, I binged. Okay, how did I get into the show? I'll tell you how. There was a show, um, Orphan Black. I kind of stopped watching Orphan Black that last season because it got weird. Uh, I decided to, my brother uh, recorded this uh, final recap uh, goodbye to Orphan Black and I watched it and for some odd reason his DVR kept recording and his DVR recorded the first episode of Killing Eve. So after I watched that first episode of Killing Eve, I'm like, okay, you can't just leave me like this. Uh, you can't just hit me with some crack and then like leave. You know, I need, I need, I need to come back for that base. So um, some of y'all get the reference, some of y'all won't. If you don't, how do you fuck not know what I'm talking about? Anyways, um, I don't do drugs. I don't even drink coffee. Anyway, this is my drug. I'm doing this at 2 a.m. So um, 
I'm watching and I hear my first unloved song. And then it hits me, yo, they're hella unloved songs. So I'm binging. I think I binged the first six episodes. Back to back to back to back to back to back. And I'm like, yo, this this show is bananas. I'm on Twitter like, yo, this show crazy, fam. And the music. The music. How did I discover unloved? There's this other thing that I use because music nerd. Uh, there's a site called TuneFind. TuneFind is the site I use when I watch a TV show and there's a song playing. And I don't necessarily want to be that dude putting my phone up to the screen to Soundhound or Shazam it. And sometimes it just doesn't know what it is. TuneFind is sourced by, you know, people. And oftentimes they know exactly what the song is. And that's how I discovered Unloved through TuneFind. Then maybe Reddit and Twitter. I think that's how everything works with the world now. So moving on, um, another recent one for me is two recent, very recent ones. Um, Euphoria, which is on HBO right now, which is, again, the music supervisor is Jen Malone. Jen Malone, who also I mentioned previously is the music supervisor on the coast of music supervisor on Atlanta. So duh, makes sense. Not surprised. Another one um, is a Netflix show that I just watched not too long ago. Uh, It's called trinkets. Uh, The music, the music department is Keegan DeWitt. And um, the music supervisor is a dude named Andrew Brady, Andrew Brady. Uh, doesn't not a surprise because Andrew Brady turns out that he's also music supervisor or in the music um, department for the show's Legion, which I love the music for Legion. I don't realize that I love the music for Legion because the show Legion is so fucking confusing. And I feel like I, I did peyote before I watched it that I actually have to maybe watch an episode again to understand it. Oh, shit. The music just the music. Um, Umbrella Academy, which. I fully enjoyed on Netflix and um, Snowfall, which the music selection is dope on Snowfall. The Handmaid's Tale, I've never watched, but he does the music for Handmaid's Tale. I just I can't do it. I grew up watching um, dystopian stuff and reading all that type of sci fi as a kid. I don't know if I necessarily want to watch that in that Um, regard or in that setting I don't want to be that depressed because I'm already down for that type of shit so I've never seen The Handmaid's Tale it comes on Hulu right why am I asking you can't answer Um, what else do I have left here man I don't think I have anything left but I will talk about um, another show which I feel uh, has excellent Music supervision, which I did not mention yet. Um, I gotta go with Gronish. Gronish has been airing on um, Freeform since 2018. It used to have the, another name, the Family Channel. Uh, I really enjoy the music from the show, even though again it skews young. And me, I'm about I'm 43.8. I'm about to be 43.833 on the 17th, and then pretty soon I will be. 44 um 
but the music supervision now it was done by somebody previously um I believe the person who did it before, his name was Jason Payne. Jason Payne does the music for F is for Family. I don't remember the music for F is for Family, quite honestly. I just know that, like, it's 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 crazy show. But the music supervision, I know for a fact right now, is being done by Leah Harrison. And Leah Harrison also does the music supervision for God Friended Me, which is a show I think a lot of people... It's got re it's been renewed. So, I mean, I guess enough people like it. But I really, for some odd reason, really enjoy God Friended Me. Um, she also did the music supervision for the show You on Netflix, which I really like You. Um, that was a lot of hot women. Uh, Arrow, I, I, I can't. Music. Okay. And um, the film Love, Simon. So. Coming of age show, coming of age movies, typically, you know, you have to have somebody who has a good grasp of music and know when to put in that song to, you know, help the emotion and and get, makes the audience, you know, suspend belief better, you know, put everybody in there in their feels. So that's a crucial aspect. Now, uh. Throughout this discussion about music supervision and television and film, it made me start thinking about other media or podcasts made by people who kind of think the same way or, or along the same lines. And what I ended up doing was, as you know, last year, I was a guest on another podcast uh, the episode about uh, New Edition, you know, uh, New Edition's Neighborhood Secret. So Lost Notes. So I just started listening to Lost Notes and Lost Notes is doing these like. Introducing people to other podcasts as a break from their podcast, like we're waiting for our new season. So we're going to put y'all on to other podcasts that y'all might like since you're waiting for hours. And I'm like, what? What they do is they uh, have an episode of a podcast that's done by um, Oliver Wang. If you don't know who Oliver Wang is, then really? But, okay, I won't judge you. Um, find out Oliver Wang, a brilliant writer, uh, music, music guy. But he does a podcast with Morgan Rhodes. Morgan Rhodes, she's done radio, but she's also... Get this, a music supervisor. And she's uh, done a phenomenal job with a show that I think is way better on Netflix than it was in the film. Even though I had high expectations for the film, it kind of fell short for me. But I think the Netflix show is the perfect medium for, for it. It works way better there. Um, Dear White People. So um, he does a show with Morgan Rose called Heat Rocks. And they did a specific episode with Cut Chemist, where they talked about um, Simone Day's debut album from 1972. And they're talking about how uh, there are songs from that album which they all love and Morgan loves, but she could never find a way to put them in the film because it wouldn't work. Now, um, music music supervisors, you have the consultant, and then a lot of times you have somebody who works with music clearance. 
Sometimes you have an idea for put a song in a film or something and it just won't work for whatever reason. Uh, one of my favorite stories, or not favorite stories, I should say, is when they were making the film Belly, Hype Williams loves a song I love. Uh, Tricky's, Tricky and PJ Harvey have a song called Broken Homes. Gorgeous, gorgeous song. Love this song to death. He wanted to put it in belly. They couldn't clear it, so he couldn't use it. And that just blew my mind because I'm like, I can't think of how many times I've watched a film or watched a watched a t- TV show, whether it be on Netflix, uh, Showtime, HBO, Stars, you know. FX, anything. And I'm like, yo, there could have been other songs. You could have used other songs. And then it hits me. It's like, maybe the reason that other song wasn't used is because it was a suggestion and it couldn't be used for whatever reason. But I've always been super interested in the field of music supervision and I've always wanted to do it because a lot of times I'll listen to a song and I instantly imagine where it would fit in a film or a TV show. That's why I've always been really like interested in the field of sync licensing. I have a lot of friends who've made songs and I'm just like, dude, I can hear this song on a TV series. I can hear this song in a film. Sometimes I wanted to shoot a short film just so I can use certain songs. Uh, I have friends who've um, had albums or whatever and they've had to launch them uh, and they've been tasked with doing things like and I'm like, why? The label doesn't have people to do this? And then I realized later and later on in life as I grow up that very few people have ideas and very few people who have ideas have actually, actually have good ideas and have an idea on how to execute them but then there's always people who are like, oh, wow, you're a wealth of knowledge and information and you're authentic and you can actually do this and I wish I could. So there's this weird thing where it's like you think that there are a lot of people that can do something and actually it's just a bunch of people that don't know what the fuck they're doing but they can act like it or fake it while they're actually people that know what they're doing. So I'm just hoping one day I can somehow break into that. But the point I'm making is that they were always tasked with uh, creating playlists to slot their own music in so they can pitch it to other people and sell people on it. And I'm like, they don't have people that work there that can do that. They don't understand the, they don't understand the music. Don't they work in the music department industry? Don't they get it? And I'm told, no, they don't. That's why we called you. That's why we're going to work on this together. Because we're tasked with this. Not only do we have to make the music, but we have to help fucking sell the music. What the fuck are we signed to the label for? Anyways, I would work with them. And I've done this on a few occasions. You know, I'm not naming names. I worked on, I've done this on a few occasions where I've helped put together songs and lists of songs and songs with themes and 
sonically works with their music to help package them to an audience. It's worked very well in every instance. No one knows that. This is just one of the many things I've done under the table. But I've always been intrigued by this idea, by this medium, by just finding the music that works at a specific time. I'm one of these people that uh, I, I, have, I've, I have to have mentioned this before. I've never used Shuffle before. Not on an iPod, not on iTunes, never. And I put all the music there myself. I know what I want to listen to, when I want to listen to it at a, time, at a specific time. I'm also one of those people that goes on YouTube and looks up songs. And I'll p- pick the song, then I'll pick the next song, then I'll pick the next song, then I'll pick the next song. And if I have favorites on YouTube, and I do have favorites on YouTube, I will skip through them to get to what I want to hear at that time. I think the only time I let something play was by mistake. And what it was, was um, I made a top 100 most played on iTunes list. And I pressed play on it and I left the house. And when I came back in, it was still playing. And I was like, hey, this is pretty good. And I kind of let it go for another hour. That's the only, I'm such a control freak that I'm, that's the only time I even let that happen. I trust DJs, but I trust certain DJs. There are a lot of people in, who I work with in music who know more than me, who put me on the stuff. I trust them with my musical life. That's not a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but it's not a lot of people. You know, I don't do that with just everybody. You got to really know what you're doing. It's not about, hey, I know your taste. It's about just listen, because you often don't know what you like until you hear it. Uh, I had a conversation. uh, This is going to be the last thing I say. I had a conversation on Twitter uh, not too long ago. And it was talking about Nas's, um, Nas's It Was Written. And the conversation was about, was Nas leaning commercially with this album or not, purposely? And I said, yes. Uh, Fonte said that he didn't feel that, I said the message was, commercial, was a commercial lean. He says, I don't think the message was a commercial lean. And I, and I responded with, uh-uh-uh. It was because the song it's sampled by Sting and interpolated by Sting, Shape of My Heart. Uh, if you weren't already a Sting fan, there's only two ways you were introduced to this song. Oh, it's the perfect way to end. One, the 1993 film, Three of Hearts. I believe it was in the credits. Um, Please Don't Go by Hathaway was in the promo um, trailer. Check it out. I haven't seen this film in forever. I just remember that shit because I remember everything. And the other way people saw it, um, heard it, was in the film. Um, it was called in America the Professional. Later, it was Leon the Professional when they did the cut. They had the the parts that they cut out. Thank God. But I actually have the international version. 
and the professional. Shape of My Heart was in the film, along with it introduced a lot of people to B- the Bjork because Venus is a boy was in this film too. A lot of people hadn't who hadn't heard of Bjork, who didn't watch MTV, didn't get in the Army of Me, Big Time Sensuality, all that shit. They were introduced to Bjork because who the fuck is singing that song? That song from um The Professional. And I said that when they made that, they purposely knew that I'm going to use the song from The Professional because The Professional was a hood classic. It was a hood staple. Everybody rented that from the video store. Everybody watched it to death. And when it came on cable, it got even bigger. So by the time July 1996 rolls around, and Prince, I mean not Prince, and, and Nas puts out the song. Oh, and here's another part. In the if when if I ruled the world video, the very first thing you hear is fake thug, no love. You hear doom, 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 doom. You hear the message before you even hear if I ruled the world. So we already knew that was going to be a single. So anybody who remembers hearing Shape of Your Heart from um, The Professional is instantly going to say, oh shit, he flipped, that, uh, he flipped that song, that Sting song. So yes, that is purposely a commercial lean. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to end this episode here. Next week, who knows what I'm going to do? One.